Are we good? Fantastic. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you get it ready? We love to worship God, we love to give to God, and we love to join together around His Word. Who's thankful for the Word of God? About half of us. Hopefully the rest. Lord, let our hunger increase. So we're going to go an interesting place this morning and begin a series for a couple of weeks in a particular book. But before I even give the address, let us pray for our time together. So Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who leads us. You're a God who feeds us, who sustains us. We thank you that your word is alive, that it is living, that it is active, and that as you send it forth, it is able to accomplish all that you desire. So may we be fertile soil. May your word go deep in our hearts. And may you open our eyes, God, to see you and as we see you to become more like you. For the glory of your name. Let your glory fill our lives and fill this place. And may it cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The name of Jesus that name that we exalt, and we magnify, and we glorify, and we surrender all that we have for as a living sacrifice. Be glorified in our hearts and in this place and in this time this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's turn with enthusiasm to the Old Testament. We've done a number of series on... Well, that's... Far more enthusiastic than I was expecting. That's wonderful. Haven't given you the book yet. We're going to turn to the book of Habakkuk. Or for the Americans amongst us, Habakkuk. That's right, Habakkuk. Habakkuk will accept either. So turn there. If you come to Micah and Nahum, you're not far enough. If you hit the Gospels, you've gone too far. And let me ask you this question as you turn there. How many have read this book in, say, the last six months? Quite a few. The last 12 months? Okay, some more. The last 10 years? No one's probably game. But, oh, there's a lot of people who are game. Well, if you're anything like me, and most of you are not, so praise the Lord for that, but I have this tendency, you launch into the Old Testament, you read the good stuff in Genesis, Exodus, sort of lose a bit of interest around Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and kind of pick up again with King David and some of the major prophets and then tend to just skip through these minor prophets before you get to the real good stuff in the Gospels and the New Testament. But I want to suggest that there are some real gems all of this book that we read and we study and we love and we meet God through is wonderful. But there's some real gems in these minor prophets. And I'm hoping that over the next couple of weeks, you'll have a renewed love, not only for this particular book, but for what God will speak to us and show us about himself and about life as we read this text together. So what sets this book apart? Let me do a little bit of history and we'll continue context, continue that in future weeks. But this book is quite different in this primary way. Most of the prophetic books, both the major and minor prophets, are centered around God speaking or revealing things to 
his prophets. Whereas this book is really sent around Habakkuk's or Habakkuk's complaints, questions, or laments. That's really the theme. And we're going to see this. We're going to jump straight in and see this up front from chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, if you're with me, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And just brace yourself, all right, because, I mean, these these prophets were some interesting people. They weren't the clean-cut Tight wearing three-piece suits. I mean, these were the wild guys. And God got them to do some crazy, crazy things. They're, they're passionate and they're raw. And this is Habakkuk's opening statement and opening inquiry of the Lord. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. And the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And justice goes forth perverted. How's that for an interesting opening statement? We're kind of used to the New Testament, aren't we, in these profound theological unpackings of the workings and reality of God. You see, you read those opening verses and you know straight away that we're in for a wild ride. This is not a quiet prayer. The words, the sentence construction, everything about this is an impassioned cry from the heart of Habakkuk. It's fair to say this is a dramatic beginning. And in fact, it's almost a little confronting. Was anyone a little confronted by some of those questions? It's like, is, is that even legal? Is that, is that actually in the Bible? Like Habakkuk, just, just tone it down. How would you feel if you were in a, a prayer meeting and someone breaks into, oh God, where are you? Justice is perverted. I think we'd be like, just... Take it easy. Where's security? You know, we've got to just tone things down a little. But he asks, I would suggest, two fundamental questions, and we're going to explore these in coming weeks, that all of us will ask, certainly in difficult times, but in different seasons of life. He asks this, how long? Who's ever asked that question? God, how long? How long? Not just... How long do I have to wait for my microwave meal to be ready? How, how long? That groaning. How long? And then he asks a second question that all of us, I'm sure, have asked and continue to ask. He asks, verse 3, why? Why? Why do you idly sit there seemingly doing nothing? Why? How long and why? Two of these fundamental questions that Habakkuk gives voice to. And we're going to look at those questions in detail, and in particular, the responses that God gives to Habakkuk in coming weeks. What I want us to do this morning is grab your Bible and flick right to the end, because I want us to see how this whole story ends. Let's go for the bookmarks. The uh, either side of this journey of Habakkuk, the start 
and then here we will find the end. And read with me chapter 3, verse 17. Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, chapter 3, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Now, I mentioned that last phrase there, not because there's deep theology in there, but because this is actually Habakkuk's song of praise. He gets to the end of this journey, and all he can think is to grab a guitar. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a song just to tell the world and declare how good God is. One of the richest, most praise-filled declarations in all of Scripture. So I, I look at that, and I think there's quite a contrast, isn't there? Are we seeing the contrast? Somehow we have gone to from sorrow to singing. Somehow we've gone from this place of, of pain and struggle to this place of praise. Somehow we've gone from desperate circumstances to declaration. It's all good. He's God. Somehow we've gone from faithless surroundings to faith-filled living. And I would suggest that is the journey of Habakkuk. And that's the journey that I want us to delve into and explore. How, how is it that we move from that place to this place? What, what does that journey look like? What can we draw out of that for ourselves? See, this is the journey of Habakkuk. First of all, we'll look at this this morning. It gives us a language for lament. This language, this means, this gift of crying out to God. And the next week, we're going to look at the way that Habakkuk, and as God responds, it wrestles through these fundamental questions of suffering and sovereignty. Here's another question that I'm sure all of us have asked, but... Where is God when all I see is suffering and injustice? Or perhaps one of the biggest questions I always find talking to people who are outside the Christian faith is how can you believe in a good God when the world is full of pain and sorrow and struggle? So we're going to jump in and explore that one, bring a packed lunch, maybe an overnight bag. There's a lot of ground to cover. And yet we'll find that as we wrestle through this, there is this key to faith. Probably the hinge pin of this whole little book is this unpacking and revelation from God. Habakkuk, this is how it works. The just or the righteous live by faith. Such a profound understanding that Habakkuk gets that it's quoted in three New Testament books, becomes one of the the real foundational pillars of the Reformation as Martin Luther grabs a hold of this, that the righteous live by faith or by their faithfulness. And, and Habakkuk gives us this picture that shows that there's stuff, there's trials, there's confusion, there's perplexity, but actually not only are these not incompatible with trusting God, in fact, they can become a catalyst 
to discover an even more deeper and enduring trust in who God is, in his nature and his promises to us. So that's this key of faith that Habakkuk finds and then ultimately, finally, to uncover this pathway of praise. So that's the outline. Is anyone feeling a little bit more excited about studying this book for a few weeks now? Wonderful. And I did that intentionally. I gave you the roadmap. I gave you where we're heading because where we begin is not an entirely comfortable, easy place. So let's unpack and think about what I'm simply calling the language of lament. See, it it is important for us to grasp and to understand, I believe, and unpack this language that we see not only here in Habakkuk's life, but we see it in a number of places in Scripture, of lament, of this, this deep, heartfelt crying out to God. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, you'll see there is an entire book of the Bible. It's called Lamentations, and that is all about lament, probably written by Jeremiah, we believe. There's other characters, Job comes to mind. And did you know that over a third of the Psalms, which all of us love, which we read and we pray and we write songs about and celebrate God's goodness, over a third of the Psalms that you find in the Bible are in fact Psalms of lament. If you're wondering where they are, they're probably the ones that you skip over as you're there in your morning devotion, if you're like me, and you're like, oh, That one's a little uncomfortable. Let me just move and see what the next one's like. Oh, that one's okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's a little bit better than, oh, God, God. But even Jesus himself, as he hangs there on the cross, he cries out, quoting from Psalm 22, a psalm of lament. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This this cry of lament. So why is it that this language of lament seems to be, if I'm honest, and probably for most of us, if we're all honest, a little missing in our walk and our journey with God? I would suggest it's at least in part because this is somewhat uncomfortable. Like we do, we, we do love the Psalms. We begin a lot of our services quoting from a nice psalm. But it doesn't quite have the same ring, does it, to start a service with these cries of deep lament. And I should say, all things in balance. I'm not suggesting that we need to, from now on, start our services, start every morning, find the most miserable psalm that you can, something about my bones aching within me, death to my enemies, and that somehow that is going to help put us in the right frame of mind to go about our daily life. What I am suggesting that is if this is such a prominent theme in Scripture, over a third of the Psalms, that there should, I believe, all things in balance, be some sense of this reality of lament in our prayer life. Have we lost this language of lament? Do we really know what it looks like? and what the point and purpose is in our lives. I had a conversation with a, a very good friend of mine. This is probably 
a couple of years ago now. It's always stuck with me and he was in a particularly bad place at the time. We sat down just at a coffee shop in Fishwick and he um, doesn't live in Canberra, lives from elsewhere, so he's in town for a visit. And he was telling me about a lot of his struggles that he'd been through in recent seasons and particularly to do with his kids. His kids have both grown up. And he was saying, this, this has been a really hard journey because we, we brought up our kids in Christian faith and in different ways, both of our kids have faced difficult circumstances. In one instance, it was a very significant health battle. In the other instance, it was a marriage breakdown. But the result was the same. Both of these significant trials, and they're both significant things, had caused these kids not only to walk away from the Lord, but there was every time God's even mentioned now, there's baggage there, there's an opposition, there's all this stuff that resurfaces. And, uh, and he said, it's interesting that the, the one thing that, you know, because I've thought about this a lot, the one thing I can put my finger on, not that, you know, it's simple to, to put a circumstance down to one particular factor, but he said that the, the one thing that is, has become so evident to me is that the whole time as, as I raised my kids and you know, we raised them in, in kind of charismatic Pentecostal cir- circles where there was a lot of talk about faith and, and we've got to believe and you know, it's, it's, it's all it's victory and it's, and it's celebration. But he said, you know, I don't think there was ever a sermon, maybe he was exaggerating, this is what he said, I don't think there was ever a sermon or a conversation or even a mention of the reality of suffering and brokenness. Like there was no framework for it. It wasn't part of the, the language of, of life. It's just, it's victory and it's, it's blessing and it's everybody's going to get healed and everyone's going to get, it's, it's all going to be fantastic. It's all, it's all, you know, rainbows and roses. That's the picture of, of life. And he said the problem was the moment my kids came and encountered any significant trial, they just fell apart. I've got no framework for this. I've got no language. I've got no way to deal with this. And it totally undermined their entire faith in who God was. And I think too often in Christian circles, we have taken prayers like this, like Habakkuk is praying and kind of said, well, you know, not only tone it down, but really we need to have a chat because that's really lacking some faith there, like you're on a very dangerous dangerous tangent there and seeing this, this expression of the brokenness perhaps we're experiencing or the suffering around us as an absence of faith. I want to suggest that the exact opposite is true and that so often prayers like this and the biblical journey of lament is in fact an exercise in the expression of faith. That these psalms, that these passages, that these cries are a theology in themselves. They're a doxology. They're a form of worship. And they're transformative for the believer if we can learn how to lament well and recover this language of lament. I mean, I've known people who have left the church because they've come in and they're like, well, faith is all, it's victory and it's blessing and how are you doing? I'm pumped, I'm awesome, you know, life's great. And, and I, all things in balance here as well. I'm, I'm not saying that we need to be morbid and make every service like a funeral dirge. Like, that's, that's good. We want to come and be victorious and, and celebrate God's blessing and his favour and his life. But people come into that environment and they're like, well, obviously this has no relevance for me because I'm broken and I'm hurting, 
and I'm in need, and therefore I leave the church. And all I'm trying to say is I don't want to be a church that has a gospel proclaimed that only works when things are going well, when we're all doing fantastically and we're pumped and we're awesome. I want that, but I also want to have a faith which ultimately the gospel is about, this king of glory who comes to meet us in the midst of our brokenness and have and rediscover this language of lament. And see, here is the beauty of lament. There is this reality that not only can we have a faith that survives difficult times, but that actually enables us to find God in even a greater way in those difficult seasons and circumstances. To get real with him, to cry out in our anguish and pain, to allow him to come and reveal ourselves there, not to avoid it, not to excuse it. See, too, too often I've, I've even been guilty of saying this to people, well, just, just count it as joy. Just, just count it as joy. Just kind of avoid it, move on, just don't think about it, just, just count it as joy. Now, that is in the Bible, and that is the goal, but we've got to recognize that there is a process to walk through to get there. I'm yet to go to a doctor's surgery and get a bad report and come out thinking, I'm just counting joy. Praise God. Like, I'm overflowing with joy. This is fantastic. I'm yet to walk through a difficult season to experience great loss and in the midst of crisis think, oh, this is wonderful. This is great. But I have learned in my own life that there's a journey that can be walked through to find God in the midst of those seasons. There's a great song by Hillsong that I've been listening to, Hillsong United. It talks about, I count the joy in every battle because I know that's where you'll be. Like that is my strength and my source, that I can find God in the midst, not in the absence of stuff, but right there in the midst of it. There's a great book. I won't try and pronounce this particular gentleman's name. Mark is his first name. The surname is V-R-O-G-O-P. You can have a crack later if you'd like at pronunciation. It's called this Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. And he's a, a pastor from the US, pastored a church. He described himself as one of these people who just, I never preached about suffering. I never preached about you know, the reality of difficulty that we face until he faced a tragic situation where he lost his baby girl. And he said it was in that particular journey with no language to put to the suffering and pain that he felt that he went on a journey with the Lord about how to learn to lament, how to learn to invite God into not just those victorious good spaces, but the, those deep, dark recesses and corners of our soul where there's, there's brokenness that too often we just shove aside. We don't even know how to do it. And he has this quote. He says this, We step into a world with a cry. Although none of us remembers the moment, the first sound we uttered after leaving the warm, protected confines of our mother's womb was a loud protest. We enter wailing. And we don't stop crying after birth. It continues because this world is broken. While tears and sorrows are part of our humanity, there is an often neglected prayer language in the Bible to help our travels through a broken world. Ultimately, it's an expression of faith in the God who hears 
and cries and responds with unceasing mercy and grace. Great book. You can read that if you'd like to investigate this more. But there is a language of lament, and it's uniquely Christian. It's uniquely something that's available to us as believers in Christ to really allow and to wrestle through and to walk with God through journeys like Habakkuk is on here. So I want to quickly, just very quickly, give us a couple of pointers of what does it look like then? What, what is lament? What is this language of lament or what is it not? And I'm always frustrated every time I pick up my, I've got a, an ESV crossway production of the, uh, the Bible and it entitles these two sections Habakkuk's Complaint. Some other translations, they say Habakkuk's questions or Habakkuk's inquiries or something along those kind of lines, which I prefer. But mine, for whatever reason, maybe I should write a letter to Crossway and complain about their publication of Bibles. But I really don't like this word complaint. And here is why. See, there is a big difference between complaint and lament. And what we're reading here, I don't believe in any way is a complaint for this particular reason. First of all, a complaint is to come to bring accusation. And that's not at all what lament is. See, he is not in any way coming to bring an accusation against God. He's coming with a genuine inquiry. He's coming to seek. He's like, God, how and why? I'm coming to you, not just to complain about how miserable my life is, but I'm coming to genuinely seek your guidance and your leading and your perspective on what I'm going through. Second of all, a complaint, it places us as the ultimate arbitrator rather than God. I think so often we fall into that trap as we're in the midst of a season, we put ourselves in God's place. We put ourselves in that role of judge and jury and executioner. See, not once in this whole book, as we read through it, we'll discover, does Habakkuk ever question God's sovereignty or his goodness. He leaves God on the throne. So number one, he comes with inquiry. Number two, he leaves God on the throne. And number three, his desire in his heart is to walk through and discover the pathway to praise, to look for the moments to trust. See, complaints are an end in and of themselves, aren't they? You're not looking to get something out of it. You're looking to come with your list of everything that's gone wrong, your whinging moments, nail them to the wall, and that's it. It's a done deal. And too often when we're in this place, it's not a pathway. It becomes a pull. It becomes my sorrows that I can plunge into. I can soak it up. It's an end unto itself rather than being this pathway as Habakkuk finds that leads us from this place of lament to eventually this place of profound proclamation. So he turns to God. That's the beginning we read in verse 2. O Lord, he comes seeking answers, chapter 2, verse 1, after these, this lamenting time with God. He says, I'll take stand at my watch post on the tower. I'll look to see what he will say and what he will answer concerning my complaint. So he comes willing. He comes wanting. God, you've got to show me. You've got to turn up in this place. He looks for moments to trust 
profoundly at the end of chapter 2, saying, But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. And his lament, his pain becomes a pathway for him to meet God in that place and to choose to trust him again. And you see, this is the beauty. If, if we can learn to meet God in the midst of that stuff, then we can encounter God everywhere. And not only do I believe that this is a vital, vitally important language for us to learn, for anyone going through a difficult season, for anyone overwhelmed by the stuff they see around them, I believe this is important for all of us because one of the greatest gifts that we have to offer a world that is broken is to give them hope in the midst of hopelessness, is to give them clarity in the midst of confusion. And ultimately, we have this God who offers us not just pie in the sky hope, just kind of hope and like karma, hope you've done enough and hope it'll kind of work out okay at the end. We have a God who has stepped down from glory. He stepped into our brokenness and not just into our brokenness, but he has been broken for us. He's cried, he's wept, he's bled, he's hung upon a cross in our place to give us the gift of comfort that we too can then give to others. So I want to do a couple of things this morning. If we can get the worship team back out. I want you to put your Bibles away. Enough listening to me. I wanted intentionally to leave some time before we all head off into the week. And we don't always get to do this, but sometimes it's good to have an opportunity to put into practice what we have just heard. And we're going to finish with communion, but before we get to communion, I want to read to us a psalm of lament. We're going to read Psalm 22, or I'm going to read it, and I actually encourage you not to follow along, but just to close your eyes. And, and I want to pray for us. And the invitation here as we come to the Lord's table and prepare our hearts to do this is... As I've said before, so often we come to church and we come to meet with God in that, you know, that place of, of victory. And that's good. And, and we never want to lose that. And, that. and that place of all that he's done for us and, and joy. And that's fantastic. But as I said before, you know, communion, whilst it is the ultimate declaration of God's victory, it's also the ultimate proclamation of a God who comes to meet with us in that place of utter brokenness and desperation. That's the glory of the gospel. And I want to invite us this morning to meet with God in those places. So with your eyes closed there, let me read Psalm 22. I said before, this is a psalm that Jesus himself quotes from as he's hanging there upon the cross. It's a psalm written by David. 
but it's a psalm that takes us on this journey from deep lament, coming and crying out to God. But then in response to the crying of allowing God to then come and just recalibrate. God, I know you're God. And I need to meet with you here in this place. And then as he comes to meet with us, this response of praise. Oh God, you're so good. It may be that it sings as we read these words that for you, that there's an opportunity just to allow God to come. Say, God, that's me, just there. Would you come this morning, making this prayer, this psalm my own, and I want you to come and meet with me here. So just listen as I read this, Psalm 22. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and they were not put ashamed. But, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. But he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in whom. Yet, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you from birth. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan. They surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Be not afar off. O oh Lord, help come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you, you who fear the Lord, praise him. From you comes my praise in the congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nation. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. 
Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Lord, we just thank you that you are a God who comes and you meet with us. The victories, the battles, the mountains and the valleys. And I pray that that would be our journey with you to find you in the the deepest, darkest seasons. Help us rediscover this language of lament to encounter you afresh. We pray in Jesus' name.